Good morning, afternoon or evening, um, wherever you are listening from. I'm Adam Parry, editor of Event Industry News and your host on today's podcast. Joining me today is Craig Mathe. Craig is the Managing Director at Bournemouth Seventh Festival, a trustee at the Steve Bernard Foundation, a council member of the National Outdoor Events Association and vice chair at the Destination Management Board for Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poole. Craig, welcome to today's podcast. Yeah, good, good morning. Thanks for having me along. Good to, uh, good to see you. No, very well. Welcome along. Um, Craig, I think where I'd like to start is, is just how you got into the events industry. What was your, what was your first foray into, into the events sector? Yeah, of course. So I kind of knew um, from a very early age that I wanted to be in events. I was quite a... Uh, quite an organized kid um, and always kind of even amongst my mates when I was younger always was the one that seemed to organize socials and gatherings and uh, going through school just kind of organizing fundraisers and, and, and all that kind of stuff I always kind of knew that that's kind of where I lied um, so yeah I went to university after leaving Bournemouth school and um, studied uh, kind of sports management um, sports is kind of my other passion I guess and I've always always loved playing watching listening digesting sport in kind of every fashion possible so um i went to uh went to university in plymouth uh, and studied uh, sports management with uh, elements of um events management in there as well uh graduated had a great three years and uh, and then and then did what all graduates do and went to work in a pub um which i did for a little while and for the kind of the whole time i was doing that um uh, kind of trying to trying to find my way in events volunteering wherever I could um, I think for me that kind of stands out as one of the things that you really need to do to make your way in events is just get experience any experience you can get from from whatever you do um, and then I was very lucky to um, after kind of uh, looking around for event experience I applied for an internship a voluntary internship at Cancer Research UK in London um, on the, the Bobby Moore Fund, um, which is uh, a, sp a specific uh, part of Cancer Research UK, um, all kind of obviously in the name of uh, the World Cup winning captain um, Bobby Moore. Um, and it was an amazing experience, three months kind of unpaid work, but uh, just probably the, the best thing I could have done at the time of, of putting my name out there. And it, it kind of taught me a lot about kind of the sector. And um, yeah, as I said, that voluntary experience is, is really, really key. Um, and simultaneously alongside that, I was um, a friend of mine sadly passed away when we were 18 and we, um, we set up a foundation in his name um, and slowly and slowly we were kind of building that up, organizing more and more events as well. So um it, it's it's amazing kind of the background i think that 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 kind of whole side of the industry has, has given me in terms of creating events i mean i'm a big believer that events big small they, they all require the same skill set often to kind of a, a a bigger or lesser degree but it's the same skills um so yeah i i worked my way through that and then um was very fortunate sort of aged 24 um to go and uh, to go and knock on the door of uh, Roger Woodall, who owns Bournemouth Sevens Festival, along with his wife Fleur, um, and uh, and said, "Can I have a job?" And uh, they were in their kind of early years, um, and they yeah, he took a bit of a gamble on me. Uh, I took a bit of a gamble on him as well. They they didn't have a huge amount of money at the time to pay me, and I, I took a, took a pretty big pay cut, but it was to do something that I knew I wanted to do, and. Um, 
my mum's always said to me that if a decision doesn't feel like it's really a decision, then it's the right one. Um, so I kind of left left the pub trade um, and, and went to start as as national events manager at Bournemouth Sevens. And um, yeah, that was that was almost ten years ago now. So it's it's been an amazing journey and something I've absolutely loved. That's a that that is an amazing story, mate. I think um, there's a couple of things I've taken away from that. One, I, I, it seems to be that everybody in the events industry has to do a stint in a pub I think I think that's like mandatory isn't it um and it, if you haven't it's probably coming um so I and, and that is a great experience in terms of that environment customer service fast pace you know it's it's events as well like birthdays and weddings and all that kind of stuff happen within that environment so mm. if you are an event management student and you listen to this don't be afraid to go and work in the pub it's 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 very good experience and I, I found that too myself I've, I've done a stint in a in a pub a hundred percent yeah yeah I think I'm sorry sorry Greg go on yeah yeah no I was just gonna say that I think that kind of pub piece is vital um I mean when you're dealing with someone that's had a few too many sherries they're being wholly irrational and they just they don't want to leave or they don't want to or they're misbehaving or you can't serve them anymore and you've worked through dealing with those issues or dealing with kind of kind of serious instance and stuff like that that's an amazing grounding for learning about what events is like um and there's a fair portion of events that kind of mirrors that so that kind of whole health safety plan planning licensing piece you get a really good understanding of that through pub management and even working in pubs so 100 percent. i look back on that time as um really kind of formative part of my career and joking jokingly you can kind of say well actually it's um it, it's just something you fall into after work actually i think as a as a country we probably don't give the hospitality industry the credit it deserves for the skills that it kind of creates and um yeah seeing people talk about it as low-skilled work i think is really kind of disparaging really it's just not accurate it's um an, an amazing skill set in terms of dealing with people dealing with issues um resolving things um, um, and, and problem solving and my skills in problem solving which I've used significantly over the last few weeks and months um, all can find a kind of grounding in that environment so I think it's really really important that we give hospitality some love and consider it a route into into either higher positions within hospitality or within other industries like ours. I absolutely agree and and, and it's interesting isn't it what's happened obviously recently over the last couple of weeks um, what one I suppose one good thing that that I found talking to other people in the industry and and seeing what's what's happened with with uh, news and and parliament etc is is actually hospitality and events have been elevated just ever so slightly in terms of of the the thread that they actually weave between whole society and bring everybody together and, and bring things together so no I absolutely agree with you I think hospitality events and, and, and everything that touches that actually deserves a, a lot more credit than, than it possibly gets from, from the wider world. So yeah, no, absolutely agree. Just, just touching upon as well, one, one other point that you, you mentioned, obviously you went out and did a lot of volunteer work, which is I think how you know, many, many, many people actually get into, into the sector. Do you have any specific advice there for, for anybody that's looking to either, you know, change and transition into the events industry? I, you know, when I go and speak at, you know, at universities, etc., there's a lot of, uh, you know, students that kind of want to go straight into artist liaison and, and you know, running a festival and, and, and getting their own buggy and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's not necessarily always the case because there aren't always 
all of those opportunities out there just on, on, on a job board or, or mm. anything. You had to go and knock yeah, on yeah. a door yourself. So yeah. have you got any advice there about how to get those, those, those opportunities to, to volunteer, etc.? Yeah, I think probably the, the thing that stands out to me is don't be precious. Do anything. Um, do anything that you can. Um, we so at Bournemouth Sevens where we kind of work with volunteers um, often we'll work with them in one year and they'll do something that can seem kind of not that important such as dishing out programs or wristband checks or, uh, or, or all those kind of things but they all play a really important part in delivering that event um, and also if you apply yourself to that events people are nice people in the main and they will remember you and maybe next year you'll have an opportunity to do something a little bit bigger or a little bit more intense and um or you'll meet someone whilst you're doing that role that may have another opportunity that you can follow up on i think um i think so don't be precious don't be put off if something is a stewarding role and you're manning a gate that isn't that busy or or something like that because you never know what kind of might come outside the other end um and I guess the second thing is is networks. It's all about people. This industry, more than almost any, is all about people. So talk to people, ask questions, ask people what they're doing whilst you're there. Say, can you help? Don't like. For me, when employing people, it's about approach and attitude and uh, and ability to just kind of pull your sleeves up and, and get it done so actually people who show that willingness you're much more likely in the future to kind of give them a role um, and as, as you said I think the industry has a lot of freelancers in it a lot of people who are kind of going from show to show so trying to find a quite senior role straight off the bat is is impossible almost because there's a huge amount of other people doing those roles already um, and but if you kind of keep keep at it keep knocking on doors keep asking questions keep trying to do the the smallest jobs but do them to the very best of your ability um then i think you stand a really good chance of progressing through the industry um, and and i've done that personally from with Bournemouth Sevens, but also I, I, I'm very fortunate to have a couple of other roles that I play over the year, helping friends out with other events and stuff like that. And um, those roles have started from just being the, the hired help to a certain degree to actually looking after projects to a little bit or to delivering stuff and being involved in the planning and the thought process. And, um, and all of that is, it just takes time. You're not going to fall out of a, uh, out of a university degree into, um, into an events management role or an artist liaison role in, in very many cases so yeah it's 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 very much about experience and and, and lots of skill sets right you know and, and that's actually why it's good to to have experience doing other things outside of event management as well or maybe helping and working with suppliers or or doing a stint with a health and safety company etc because those those skills are your knowledge and that's actually what what gets those those artist liaison or managing director positions at, at Bournemouth Sevens Festival, right? It's mm. your experience, it's your knowledge. And, and in some cases, it's actually a network as well. It's the people that you can call upon to, to help you facilitate the role and, and, the, and the project that you've got on, on at that time. So yeah, I think, I think that's great advice is um, don't dismiss anything, right? Don't dismiss mm. any opportunity. Look at it as an opportunity to kind of absorb and soak up the experience of those people that you're going to be working with and then apply that to, to, to roles and applications for jobs and stuff going forward. Mm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Craig, could you tell us a little bit more about, about 
the actual festival, right? That's what everybody's probably listening. That's what everybody <laughs> wants, to, wants to hear about. It's, it's a slightly different type of festival, isn't it? To, to maybe what most people think of in the mainstream. It's, it's got a huge sport and, and team player element to it. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the history, what the event looks like today and, and, and what, it's, um, what people experience over the, the, the couple of days of the festival that it's, that it's live? Yeah, of course. So um, Bournemouth Sevens Festival uh, takes place uh, normally over the last Maybank holiday. Um, we've kind of been deep in planning for our 13th year. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really grown kind of quite significantly over the past few years, um, both in kind of attendee numbers and profile. Um, I guess rewinding a little bit that the business was founded by um, Roger and Fleur Whittle, who I mentioned earlier. Um, who are um so roger's background was as a uh, semi-professional rugby player but a, a nightclub promoter so you find in the events industry a huge amount of uh, promoters for for festivals started their life in that kind of that area and um really interesting to kind of see how that translate and um roger and fleur took the took the gamble in in 2008 which was obviously the height of the economic crisis um to launch a new event um, and it kind of was set out to combine their two passions, really, of, of sport and, uh, and music and entertainment. So, um, and, and that first year was intended kind of very originally to be a, a 24 team uh, rugby tournament um, with a beer tent for everyone to kind of have fun. Um, and even in that first year, those numbers were just kind of blown out the water, really. There were 96 rugby teams. Um, and um yeah it was uh, it, it was just blown away by the number of people that were kind of interested in the event and wanted to kind of take take part really um so you had a few thousand people through the doors um and, and just an amazing success really i mean roger talks quite openly about the challenges of an outdoor event he's gone from putting something on in nightclubs where you have fixed walls and security and uh, to toilets and water and electricity, all of those kind of bits. And the, the, the thing of going into a field and having to deliver that where you've literally got grass and not much else. Um, and he talks quite openly about kind of estimating a budget of about hundred K for, to put it on and that being about ending up at about 300 K and just being like, Christ, where, where, where am I? This yeah. is this is absolutely unbelievable amounts of money. So, um, uh, so I guess the full credit goes to um, both Roger and Fleur for for the idea. Um, for putting their house on the line um, because if you go back to most of these where these events started someone took a huge amount of personal risk they put pgs personal guarantees on on their event succeeding and, and they take that gamble so everything that kind of comes back to them after that as a result of uh, of of the work and what they do is um is, is credit to them really so um i guess that's where we started in 2008 and um they Roger and Fleur did it pretty much by themselves for the, the first year, but they appointed their first member of staff about a few months out from the first event, um, who was my first boss when I started. And um, collectively and collaboratively, they, they worked together to, um, to, to achieve an amazing few years. Um, and I guess from there, it's grown kind of year on year. Um, we have... Uh, as I said, we have a full-time team of seven now. Um, obviously, it's Bournemouth seven, so that's like the law. Um, but Does so that we, mean you can't have another employee now? It's like, yeah, I, 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 it I ask frequently and I get told, no, it's seven, that's all it can be. Um, so no, in all seriousness, it's a, it's a really kind of tight, amazing team. Um, 
who uh, we all absolutely love it. I think that's the thing that kind of really stands out about what we, what we do and what we deliver. And we the business started with a phenomenal idea, but it's really been honed by the efforts and the kind of capabilities of that team that have kind of pulled together over the last few few years to deliver it. Um, so we now see about 5,000 people playing sport. Uh, across 400 teams uh, playing rugby, netball, dodgeball, hockey and volleyball. Um, very purposefully pick those sports. They're sports that have a touring mentality. So people are used to going away together to take part and compete. And um, those teams take part in about 1600 matches over two days. So that's a huge kind of scheduling opportunity and um, a huge amount of work goes into that. And my colleague, John looks after the kind of coordination of, of refs, of umpires, of, of all of those pieces. And um, fortunately the grounds that we, that we host our event at, which is Bournemouth university is a, a is, is owned by Bournemouth University but is a purpose-built sporting facility so um, that brings some amazing opportunities in terms of the quality of the grounds and the facilities but also some unique challenges that you maybe don't see in agricultural kind of fields that are used for the balance of festivals. Um, and then I guess around the sporting activity is a host of kind of entertainment arenas. Um, Roger from the very first year said that this was going to be a festival uh, in the first few years, it probably wasn't quite a festival, but it, but but now it genuinely is. Um, and over the past five years, probably we've really escalated that. So there's 12 different themed festival arenas, um, and we now see people that come to the event not just because of the sport, but also just to enjoy the entertainment um, piece that's around it. Um, and I guess probably the main thing to talk about with kind of a bit of a geeky events hat on is that the business model is quite different to music festivals because we're not about headline acts per se. Um, so we see the challenges that the industry is facing in securing acts and the, the whole, kind of whole nature of what that looks like with um, big players in the market having contract lockdown on particular acts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it fortunately for us, the, the sporting DNA of our event is what brings people along. People come along to have an amazing time. Um, be surrounded by like-minded people and partnering in, in an atmosphere that in my opinion is unrivaled at any UK festival so I'm obviously a bit biased but I think the culture and the nature of the people at our event really does kind of create that um, so and because of that we're able to offer pretty good value you can still come to Bournemouth Sevens for a weekend for 50 quid um, and, and actually for us it's about giving amazing value to people creating something that they'll properly remember um, and one thing that we love about our audience is they are super super loyal they when they talk about Bournemouth Sevens they talk about it as their best weekend of the year and they'll come back year on year our retention rate of customers is amazing and it just seems to be kind of growing year on year and I guess I remember when I kind of first started networking in in event circles I used to people used to be like oh where are you from and I'd be like Bournemouth Sevens they're like oh so that's some sort of rugby thing um, but in the last kind of few years um, it, it's amazing to walk into a room and for people to come up and go Bournemouth Sevens you guys are smashing it or you, you're doing amazing things down there and um, I think that's a credit to credit to, as I said the idea but then also every kind of bit of what the team's been able to develop and grow it into over the over the years since they've kind of been imposed. I, I have to give you some credit myself, mate, because from 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 my perspective, obviously interviewing other festival and event organisers, you know, they, they tend to focus on on just one aspect of, of what you have, which is, in in my opinion, 
multiple event types going off all at the mm. same time with the extra challenge of, like you said, of, of dealing with an, an institutional site, which means you have to be extra careful and, mm. and, and obviously have to do lots of extra planning and um, care and maintenance, I'm sure. And, and, and there's work that obviously goes into, into that as well. So, you know, most organisers are probably just, you know, focused on, on the music side of things, right? Mm. Put a stage and replicate that across however many stages, etc., yeah. and and maybe have one that's bigger than the other. You know, let people turn up, have a good time, go home. You've got the whole sporting side of things, which, again, some people just focus on, on that side, mm. right? And then you've kind of figured out a way of, of those two things coexisting harmoniously not getting in the way of each other and, and obviously creating a really unique experience in the sense of you can come and you can have not just one sport multiple sports to watch and mm. and then you can go off and have a great time and and watch a watch a cool act and a, a, or a, a bit of a gig over the weekend and and 50 pound to, to to attend a festival of, of that magnitude in this day and age is pretty unheard of you know mm. i'm um, most organisers, I think, would have would have leveraged or, or tried to leverage a much higher ticket price for that. So the accessibility element of it, in terms of the local community and obviously people from far and wide, families, extended friends, and stuff that want to come and see those those teams play and stuff. You know, you've got you've got this you've got this perfect mix, the perfect storm of of, of event types mm, all going up in, in one go. So if anybody's listening and, and, and has a passion <laughs> for sport and a passion for music or is a promoter that plays football or rugby or something like that, um, Craig is your guide to speak to <laughs> about how to turn that into into an event. Any any plans to extend extend that bomb of sevens brands, go go international, do something bigger? What what's what does the future look like for, for B7s? Yeah, I think so. We, we're obviously kind of quite entrepreneurial in nature. Um, Roger, who I, I mentioned earlier, is, is, is constantly looking at opportunities. And, and, and trust me, we, we've looked at so many kind of different routes or avenues to, um, to replicate what we do kind of a, across the UK or across Europe. We've even explored Miami. Um, that, that we've done kind of a whole host of that sort of thing. Um, but actually, I think we've seen in the industry that some people try and replicate to replicate their idea too much or too close to home. Um, and over time, they that can be to the detriment of their brand or to their original kind of showpiece. And um, yeah, it, I think it's a it's a real risk that the thing that makes our event special. Uh, and I believe this wholeheartedly is the people that work on putting it together. Um, and we're a limited number of people. So if we looked at expanding or putting another event on, we would need additional people and no doubt we could find good people, but would we have the same passion and commitment for something that was happening in the North um, as something which is happening like 10 minutes from our office? Um, I think Bournemouth as a destination has kind of a, a, an attraction being on the coast, being, um, being somewhere that people go on holiday generally it's it's pretty much the warmest place you can go in the uk without having to go abroad on holiday and i think that destination piece is an important reason why it works um and actually we're still growing i think we in in no year since the first year have we ever stood still has the event ever stayed the same or looked the same or mm -hmm. um 
numbers decreased or even leveled out. So actually, whilst our core business is still growing and expanding, we are very much of the mindset, well, let's keep doing that. Let's keep pushing the envelope with what we're doing. Um, let's not try and get too big too quick either, because I think events can fall guilty of doing that. Um, and actually, that there's a risk there as well that you maybe throw a load of money into a headline act, which brings you an extra 5,000 people one year, but then the year after that, you can't sustain that because you can't replicate the act or the booking doesn't quite go the same. Yeah. So we're about incremental and, and organic growth um, uh, and adding, adding a sensible 10% increase, 5% increase kind of year on year. And then knowing that um, those people are going to have a great time. We spend as much time as we possibly can cultivating that experience. So like experience is a bit of a buzzword in festivals at the moment, but it's one that I wholeheartedly believe in because people go to things because they have a great time when they're there. They, they, they may pick a music festival for, for the headline act or the line or whatever, but consistent industry research that says the reason people go to events is because of the time they have and the experience they have when they're there. So we're honing that, developing that and making that as good as it possibly can be. And, um, and, and that kind of making our event better still requires all of our energy. Um, and our team is set up quite differently. So we don't use uh, any agencies really externally. So our team of seven uh, full-time staff, we look after our sales, our marketing, our ops planning, our health and safety. Um, don't get me wrong, we have experts on call who work for us over the festival itself, but we own what we do. Um, so that model really works for us. Um, and don't get me wrong, other models work for other people, but it, it's working for us. So why for us would we kind of challenge that? Um, so yeah, I think really the, he the headline for us is we just keep trying to do what we do better and better. We're, we're always look at an idea and, and Roger I know is, is investing or keen to invest in, in other opportunities and other projects, but as a kind of core business team for us, it's about building and building what we do and not, not dropping the ball with it because once you drop that ball, you're never picking it back up again. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. We've, we've had some of the same um, kind of experience ourselves on our, our own event in the, well, it's an exhibition in, in, in the events mm. market. And, you know, everybody that works in the events industry, they're creative people, right? They're passionate people. And, you know, it's, it's very easy to get tempted into that. Like, let's, let's do what we do here, but for another mm. region or for another, for another sector, et cetera, or for, let, let's take our passion elsewhere. But actually when you, when you look at, some of the, the the pinnacle events as i call them you know the glastonbury's the the south by southwest the these events that you hear and and are those that you know have headlines around the world they don't do other things they don't yeah. they don't replicate glastonbury in in the states you know they let the guys that run coachella do that and and, yeah. and do it well for that region and all that kind of stuff i think um i think many organizers um fall into that trap maybe a little bit too quickly um, and head into things a little too hastily off the back of a, of a few years of success, mm. stretch, overstretch the team, um, maybe drop the ball ever so slightly because now their attention is on two things rather than just, just one mm. thing, right? So I think that's absolutely the right, the right way to go. Um, it obviously works. And I think, you know, to, to keep those customers coming back, to keep those attendees coming back and to, to grow that event, 
incrementally is the right way to go. It, it doesn't pile loads of pressure onto the team. Mm. You're not faced with new lots of new challenges, etc. So that's that's really good to go. Uh, really good to mm. hear, should I say? J- just talking about this year, though, you you've obviously had some extreme challenges um that, that have been thrown your way you know the news has been announced that you've uh, you announced it on linkedin that you have decided to uh, postpone the event till later in the year due to the coronavirus and covid19 and, and the challenges that's that's facing the uk economy at the moment um i suppose i'd, I'd really love to hear from your side two things um one is is obviously how your team have have managed that process, worked with venue, contractors, suppliers, um, artists, etc. In 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 you know moving all of that, and and also how you've communicated that out to your audience. You know mm. how how has that been managed from a marketing and comms perspective? I, I appreciate that might not be directly your sole responsibility, but I'm sure you've been involved in that. Yeah. So. If you could just cover off those two, I think that, you know, there's lots of organizers now that are looking at doing exactly the same, um, have never faced this before, might even be brand new to the events industry and have only just launched an event recently in the last year or two and are now faced with they, they cannot deliver their event as, an, as planned. So, so what's your experience there? Yeah, I think, I guess, first and foremost, um, it's about with this it's about appreciating the grandeur of the situation so we've been very mindful and respectful that coronavirus is impacting everyone it's it's across it's across not just the country but worldwide and um and i think we have tried to remain focused on our own business and our what we can do to kind of counteract the impact but also being very mindful and supportive of the wider effort to 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 tackle it as a society and i and i personally hope that one of the things that comes out the back of this is that society will reset itself a little bit and um adjust what's important and and kind of what what that kind of selfish ideology of maybe social media and stuff like that that may kind of just take a little bit of a sideways step for us to have a a real kind of community spirit to uh, to achieve things together and um so i think from from our side we see that the people out there counteracting and on the front line against this virus they're the real people that deserve all the credit for this and um and and we kind of support that wholeheartedly um in terms of our specific experience i think one of the positive things for the events industry in this horrible situation is we're used to planning for the worst um we go through extensive plannings um, every year to um, and the the industry is constantly tackling be it terrorism or uh, an uplift in in violent crime or um, or drugs epidemics or whatever that we are constantly thinking about what are the potential risks and threats to our business um, assessing those so taking a risk kind of management point of view of those and looking so what is the severity of them and what's the probability probability of them and balancing them um, so it's about that kind of measured approach to dealing with with any situation we were bizarrely we actually explored a viral outbreak in our tabletop session for the 2019 festival so um it this i'm not quite sure how but we'd we'd talked about this one before um and i think i guess there's there's some key steps for us in in managing the the postponement release so we had a clear business continuity plan um which we've worked through um and that plan we've actually stuck to pretty uh, 
rigidly. So the first one was to continue operating as usual. Uh, and the first stage in that was um, kind of mitigation steps to if we and large events were able to happen, what could we put in place um, to make sure that the event could happen in a safe and secure environment. And it's, it's commonly said, but health and safety of staff, customers, um, everyone involved with an event is absolutely our number one priority. It has to be because if you don't focus on that, then your event will disappear very, very quickly. Um, so we were constantly thinking about mitigation steps and keeping people updated with those. So our event management plan, we were reviewing constantly, updating, providing updates to members of the safety advisory group. Um, and continuing with kind of a positive mindset um, that the event was likely to happen. And I'd say even at the start of March, that seemed like the most likely scenario. Um, but obviously, whilst going through that phase, you're constantly planning, preparing for the next one. So the, the, the second phase for us is a postponement. Um, and we found, obviously, it was one of um, Prime Minister's speeches where he said um, that the anticipated peak of the virus would be in approximately 12 weeks, which would fall at the end of May. Um, mm. And very quickly then, we realised that it, we were unlikely, very unlikely to be able to happen. Um, I think the nimbleness of our team um, and our ability to make quick decisions has really stood out to me in this process. So we were able to, within a day or so, go, There's, we're not happening. We need to look at alternative arrangements. Um, uh, um, from that point, we kind of explored them internally and said, okay, well, if we do push our event on, what dates do we need to look at? And I think we'd already talked about that before during the phase where we were talking about mitigation externally we'd already been thinking about what that kind of next postponement phase was um, for us we always happen on a bank holiday weekend so the the august bank holiday seemed like the most natural fit for us um, but we also wanted to make sure that we gave the outbreak the best possible chance of passing um, because last thing we wanted to postpone for was four weeks and then be in a situation where we had to postpone again further down the line um, and at that point, I guess it became about talking to people. It became about relationships. Um, and I found through this that having good relationships and fostering positive relationships when times are good really, really helps you when times are bad. So I was able to pick up the phone to our emergency planning contacts, our suppliers, um, local police literally everyone and have an open and honest conversation um, and say we don't think we're going to happen we're going to plump for this date um, can that work for you and we put a few of those dates to people and very quickly the one that aligned for us was that August bank holiday weekend so it, it was it was kind of really important to go through the, those kind of phases and that that kind of piece over time um, and obviously for us we also had to speak to our venue so as I mentioned earlier on our venue is a sporting facility so it's used for sport over the weekend that we normally operate. Um, so there's a huge number of stakeholders to, to involve in those conversations. Um, and we sat down with them. We had some really kind of honest, open meetings um, about the implications on both sides. Um, and, and and worked it through and we were really lucky that they were super helpful and they couldn't have been kind of more accommodating whilst also looking after their business and focusing on what the, the impact is on them. Um, 
and then yeah just those kind of conversations to go right this is this is what we need to happen i think the the spirit of goodwill altruism support positivity across the board has been amazing um so events would always much much rather postpone and cancel and the supply chain would would want you to do that as well um so we 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 pushed forward with those plans and, and detailed them and it took us about a week to get kind of approval from relevant people and get everything signed off and that week was a little bit challenging because you're having to be a little bit quiet in that time whilst people are answering questions um but to kind of pick up on the marcoms marketing comms piece we were we constantly had an update page on our website of where we were what our plans would be in the worst case scenario um and we pointed people to that and we had hundreds of phone calls inquiries um emails uh, social media questions and we pointed almost all of them directly to that piece and I think we have maybe one or two follow-up questions so being honest and open with your audience all the way through the process I think is really important um, and then I guess there were some key milestones in the intervening period where there were peaks and troughs in customer inquiries so when Glastonbury cancelled we saw an immediate uplift um, of number of people on our website number of people asking questions um, because people then started uh, to put two and two together and think well if Glastonbury is not happening then then it's unlikely that you guys are going to happen what's the impact for me and, and what that looks like yeah. um, so that that kind of update people piece I think is just really important be being humble and open and honest and we've told people that we're a small business we're still we for us we need to make sure that we operate in a sensible fashion to be able to keep going despite having 12 years under your belt events are an inherently risky space so it's about managing that kind of risk and making sure we can continue to to deliver deliver and operate the festival in the right way um and then I guess the main kind of marketing piece that, that went out, um, which was on Friday, just gone. Um, that was, for me, we did that about an hour and a half after we got the approval from the venue, the final approval, um, which was testament to what our team has been able to achieve and how good they are at what they do. Um, and we had planned and prepped every piece of that in advance so we knew what we were going to say how we were going to say it what the social media messages were going to be uh, what channels we were going to use to communicate those updates to everyone um, and and again we put that out as i said within an hour and a half and i think the the nimble nature of our business enabled us to do that um, and overwhelmingly consumer feedback and customer feedback has been amazing um, it's been really really positive people are just buzzing that we're able to happen um, we think we'll probably end up being a little bit of a post-corona party um, and uh, and we think that's that's going to be important in these difficult situations um, it's kind of stood out for me that people want positive news they need to know that there's an end in sight and whilst the kind of the frontline stuff the health stuff that is happening to counteract this virus is super important we as an industry have a massively important role in creating hope and like creating something to look forward to once this is all done um, and i think people are starting to understand how important our industry is in in delivering that for people and escapism and optimism and hope are just kind of characteristics of our event 
of our industry that that people I think are really buying into so it's a really important piece um, and we're really pleased that we're able to to have postponed um, we keep our fingers firmly crossed that the outbreak unfolds as we hope it does because there isn't certainty on that at this stage and obviously through this period we're planning for what happens if the August event can't happen that's that's natural but that's just phase three of the plan that I talked about earlier so it's well considered it's well thought out and it's well balanced um, but we yeah as I said we we just have our fingers firmly firmly crossed that we're able to deliver um, our 13th festival in in August and it, it, it's it's the best one that we've done yet I think there's a lot that people can learn for there. Um, and, and just picking up on one thing you say about the post-corona party, that's definitely going to be a term that we're yeah. here in the industry. In fact, I wonder if, if in 10 years and, and I'm still sat here doing this, um, this podcast and I ask the same question to, to somebody in the future, how did you get into this industry? I wonder if they're going to be like, well, you remember that virus? And then everybody wanted a party and, and I kind of did this thing and music and beers and all of a sudden they're running a bomb at sevens. I, yeah. I wonder if that's actually going to be a, be a thing. <laughs> Craig, there's, there's quite a lot of information there and, and, and thank you for sharing that with both myself and, and anybody listening to this. I think there's, there's a few key learnings and we're looking to get this, this podcast out that we're recording now um, this week. So it's very, very timely. If I could, if I could ask you though, if, if there was... If there was one key thing, that, one key piece of advice to anybody looking to postpone or, or possibly even cancel their event at this moment in time, could you, could you alliterate that? Or could, you, could you explain what, from your point of view, what that one piece of advice would be? What that one key thing would be? Yeah, I think clear, open, concise communication with people that you've built strong relationships with, um, be those your suppliers, your contractors, your venue, um, or your customers. It's about clarity of thought, clarity of, of message, um, and making sure that that is, that is done perfectly throughout. Um, it's, this isn't an exact science. I think one thing here is that no one is operating or reading a rule book um, in this regard. So we don't have past experience of this really. Um, so everyone's learning, but the, the principles of strong and good event management still stand. Um, so, but just make sure you talk to people. Um, people are what's making what make our industry work and what will make our solutions to this this instant kind of work as well that's brilliant mate and um i think that brings me really nicely onto onto my next question i, I suppose my final question for you and, and something we've talked on a, on a number of case, occasions about and, and another huge topic um, not only now in the industry but but that has been for for a while which is the the, the mental welfare of of our whole industry, employees, family, relationships, et cetera. Um, you're currently um, trying to launch a project um, with, with Mind, if, if, I'm, if I'm correct in saying mm -hmm. that. Could you tell us a little bit more about, about that project, um, why it's important to you, and, and possibly even if there's ways that people that are listening to this can get involved and help support that, that project going forward if, it, if it's successful? Yeah, for sure. So I think the one of the things about the coronavirus outbreak is it's highlighted kind of more than ever the kind of pressures that people within our industry are facing. Um, and that's kind of right across the board from um, promoters and organisations to freelancers that all of a sudden have seen their job book empty. Um, mm -hmm. And there's 
there's a whole host of situations which have been highlighted by this by the outbreak but which are omnipresent uh, in our industry it's um regularly uh, highlighted as one of the five most stressful industries to work in worldwide um, and and I think it, it puts people under a significant amount of, of pressure be it from working alone um, from working to a very strict deadline constantly um, to maybe touring for ages as part of a concert tour or something and then leaving that and being yeah. going back to self-isolation um, and also maybe a historic culture that has kind of moved on a little bit but a culture of we'll just put in the hours and get it done because that's what we have to do and um and there, our industry has been guilty of that in the past so i think um there's a whole host of issues around mental health in in events um and you're right we're working um and this is through uh through NOAA through the national outdoor events association which um i sit on the general council of um and working alongside mind um so we've got a project and it's it's definitely in the formative stages it's something we're working through at the moment and um hopefully more information will be kind of forthcoming about it in due course we're going through some funding rounds with um and trying to get some funding support for this and, and hopefully more will come out over time um, but what we want to do is effectively replicate something that mind have done in construction and in emergency services where they create a tailored uh, training package um, for uh, for the events industry which focuses on those kind of key issues as I mentioned of self-isolation pressure in the work environment um, and, and create a welfare piece and a training tool that can genuinely support businesses in, in managing and dealing with that because I think there's a willingness and a, a, an interest in doing so but trying to work out and formalize exactly what that is um, can be really challenged and um, I, I, I think from a personal point of view, I've seen and felt the pressure of delivering events and um, what it feels like when things are about to go kind of badly wrong or, or you, you fear that they might and um, long 18, 19 hour days to, to make events come together. And, and I think everyone hopefully listening to this podcast um, will have some kind of understanding of what that looks like. So yeah, the, the project of, of mental health in events, it's about us trying to kind of create cross-industry cross consensus on on what that's what that looks for uh, and what that looks like um the project that as we envisage it will be in two stages the first one will be to take a snapshot of our industry as it stands and create a report around um where we are as uh, as we look at the moment how do people feel what is in place because there are some people already doing amazing things around mental health and staff welfare and what that looks like and then the second phase is really in developing and cultivating a program to to create ways of dealing with that for industries organizations and stuff so um yeah i i'm kind of leading on that for for noah so anyone that wants to get in touch and um, can just potentially find me on linkedin craig Matthew on there um and uh, and, and reach out and for me it's about creating uh, a network of people that are trying to work together to to deal with that issue and hopefully um obviously everyone's a little bit preoccupied at the moment but in time that will kind of get the um get the recognition it deserves um, and we'll be able to kind of push forward with a, an important piece of industry development i think i think it's super important mate and um, i commend you for for taking action and doing something i know there are a few other things happening in, in the events industry and, and other individuals that are trying to also elevate this this issue that our industry faces and, and the pressure that comes and i think as an employer myself I think it's important that this information and training is out there so as 
as those that it might not be affecting directly but may affect others within your teams or, or your crowds you're able to identify that and also help put things in place to, to help those individuals um, you know people deal with with stress in, in many different ways and um, there's no one clear you know it's not a rash it's it's not a pimple on your forehead mm, that you can identify yeah, yeah. right oh that's that's that they've got that you know some people hide it extremely well or don't even know that they have mm. that themselves and, and there are there are multiple types of stress right there is yeah. negative detrimental stress there's also positive stress like the stress yeah. that comes from getting married or from planning a party or, or something like that you know you're building up to something really really positive but that can still have a huge impact on your mental welfare and your mental well-being. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's super important that we all become extremely knowledgeable ourselves as employers, as individuals, so that we can identify and take action to remedy that before it gets to a point where, you know, it's, it's, it's the damage is done um, mm. or, or a considerable amount of damage is done. So, so um, guys, if you're listening, do follow Craig on, on LinkedIn, reach out to him. Is there anywhere else that people can, can kind of connect up with you, Craig? Or is that uh, the best place? Yeah, no, I'd say that's probably the best place. I think um, the, obviously for anything Bournemouth Sevens related, um, the, uh, the social media channels for Bournemouth Sevens and BournemouthSevens.com are a, a really good place to look for that. And um, we would really encourage anyone that hasn't been to the event or seen it to, to maybe come down and give it a, a go if, if you like sport and you like music it'll be an amazing weekend which we can pretty much guarantee you'll love um and yeah and then obviously and um, other bits i'd say probably linkedin is, is the best place to find me so everybody looking for that august bank holiday corona party mm -hmm. get yourself a <laughs> ticket boat to b7s like craig says um craig thank you very much for joining me today i think your insight and and your passion has been contagious um no pun intended um <laughs> listeners if you've enjoyed today's podcast uh, please do like comment and share share with your networks and if you have the time and, and and have enjoyed today please give us a rating on your chosen podcast platform that really does help the discovery of this these podcasts to other people far and wide um, thank you very much for listening today until next time bye for now <laughs>